Again, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. For those of you that may be new, haven't been here, uh, we are looking through the book of Philippians, walking through verses uh, and chapters. So we are on chapter 2, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11 today. And there is a lot in this passage of Scripture, and I struggled with how to break it down. But I want to do a summary of it and uh, probably a little closer to Easter, come back and focus in a little bit more in the meat of what's being said here in this passage of Scripture. Um, so if you got your Bible opened, if you uh, found your place, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, we're going to read down through verse 11. It will be on the screen as well, but uh, we want you to turn to your Word and your Bible. So let's stand together as we honor the reading of the Word of the Lord. Paul writing to the church of Philippi in in chapter 2, starting in verse 5, said, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, thank you for the reading of your word, and now I pray that you would move me out of the way, hide me behind the cross for the preaching of your word. I pray that, Father, that we would begin to see the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs of humility, and how that we can use that and apply that to our own lives. So, Lord, humbly I pray that you would move me, Hide me behind the cross. Let thy words be spoken today and not my word, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you and you may be seated this morning. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus chose to humbly give up the right to look like God, the right to live with all the privileges, honor and glory as the pre-existing, eternal, equally divine Son of God. Jesus Christ came to demonstrate his humility, not by grasping, but by giving, leaving us with the instructions to do as he did. So the question that comes to mind for all of us should be, what does it mean to humble yourself? The Bible says it like this, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, James 4.10 and then in Luke 14, 11, he says, He who humbles himself will be exalted. But what does it truly mean to humble oneself? In this passage from Philippians, Jesus shows us what true humility is and how far true humility will go. Paul had just encouraged the Philippians in the previous four verses to practice Christian fellowship that is shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now he brings the message home by showing us how much Christ has done for us and how far Christ went for us in the gospel. 
He says that our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus who demonstrates such humility and obedience in the gospel. Today's passage traces the incredible journey of the Lord Jesus Christ from his glories in heaven to the horrors of the cross and then back to glory again. It is the most amazing display of humility and humble obedience ever witnessed in heaven or on earth. And God calls you and I to model our lives after it. But what must we look at? First of all, in verse 5, Paul reminds us that in order for us to begin to live a humble life, we must first take on the attitude of Christ. And in verse 5, he says, we must possess the same humility as Jesus, but the only way in which any of us can be at all humble, because again, our nature is not of humility. Our nature is filled with pride. Our human nature always puffs ourselves up. We always want to be exalted. But God says that we ought to be humble. If we're going to possess the same humility that Christ has, we must first possess the same attitude as Christ. This brings us back to Paul's words that we found the Apostle Paul use of his own life in chapter 1 when he said, For unto me to live is Christ. There is so much wrapped up in this brief little statement that we've already looked at, but here in this verse... In verse 5, we see that it means that we are not only to live for Christ now so that we can live for Him later, but we are also to live like Christ. Now, there is definitely a difference between living for and living like. There are a lot of people that are attempting to live for Christ that are living nothing like Christ. The truth of the matter is that we ought to strive first and foremost to live like Christ and it will become easy for us to live for Christ. The problem is that we oftentimes don't want to because being Christ-like means that we have to surrender our own will. We have to humble ourselves before God. We have to say, God, um, it's not about me, it's about you. That is the good work that God has begun in every one of us at the moment of salvation. And that he promises to us in scripture that he will carry on until it is complete. We are called to be Christ-like. You see, our daily prayer ought to go something like this. Lord Jesus, make me more like you today and less like me. If you and I would begin to pray a prayer that looks something like that every day and mean it from the depths of our heart, we would humble ourselves before God and we would begin to take on the attitude of Christ. We would be more like Him and less like us. And we are especially called to be like Christ in His humble obedience as He displayed it throughout the gospel. That phrase, your attitude should be the same, means to think or direct your minds in a certain direction. God is directing you and I to allow our minds, the mind of Christ, to be revealed in us through the gospel. 
to form and to shape you and I into relationship with each other. Did you catch that? You see, the reality is that when we're to humble ourselves before Christ, it's not only so that we can just be like Christ, but then when we are like Christ, we're going to live for Christ, and Christ came to serve us. And therefore, he reminds us that when we have put on the mind of Christ, we're no longer going to be saying, what can you do for me, but what can I do for you? And that is what the church ought to be exemplifying. That is the one thing the world is not doing. The world is saying, what can you do for me? The church ought to be saying, what can I do for you? Possess the same humility as Christ means to put on the same attitude as Christ. So let's take a journey. Let's take a journey with our Lord Jesus Christ and and look at where he came from, where he went, and where he's gone. The humble journey of Jesus begins in verse 6. And it goes through verse 8 as it traces the humble journey of our Lord Jesus as he descends from heaven to earth. Jesus started out in the highest place. Look at what the Apostle Paul says there in verse uh, verse 6. And being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to what? To be equal with God. First, we see that Jesus started out in the highest place of all. As we look at what verse 6 reminds us, it speaks of the fact that Jesus pre-existence as God meaning that he is the pre-existed Savior. He didn't just show up in Bethlehem. Long before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, long before he created the world, long before all of this had started, for all of eternity, Jesus shared the eternal glory with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus has always existed as God. He is the very nature of God. He is equal to God. John says it this way, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things that were made by Him, and without Him nothing made was made. You can't start any higher than that. He came from the pre-existence, heaven above, where he stayed and was with God for all of eternity past. And yet, and this is the amazing part, the scripture says that he, when he came to earth, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. The word grasped here means to seize something for yourself. Jesus was God, is God, and always will be God. But he did not use his position and his standard for his selfish advantages. He allowed himself to be humbled before us and take on our form so that he would separate himself from the things of God and come and dwell among us. This corresponds to what Philippians 2.3 says where we read, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Once again, Jesus is setting the supreme example here for us as he did not even, he didn't even use his position as God to, for selfish purposes, but rather to serve. 
Do you remember when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted uh, the 40 days and the devil came to him and said, you see those rocks there that you created, that you formed? You have the power to turn them into bread. Jesus said, what? No. I'm not using my power as God to satisfy my flesh. I have come to serve the Father. Over and over again, Jesus said, no. I will not use my power as God for my vain glory. Oh, my friends, listen to those words. They are so powerful. But not only did Jesus come from the highest place, he descended to the lowest place. He traveled to the lowest place. He made himself nothing for us. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. He made himself of nothing. Jesus started out at the highest place, but he traveled to the lowest place. The phrase literally means that he emptied himself. He poured himself out in love for you and for me in humble obedience to the Father. He started out at the highest place, equal in standing and setting with God, with all the rights and privileges of God. But he made himself nothing. He gave up his reputation. He gave up those rights and privileges, the privileges of God. And coming to earth as our Savior, he gave up his reputation. He took upon himself the form of humanity. Exactly what does it mean? What do you think it means that he gave up his privileges and rights? What were they? Well, let's take a little journey. Let's look at just a few of the privileges that Jesus let go of. First of all, he took on the life of a servant. He was God, is God, and always will be God, but yet he came to serve. He became a servant. Now, Philippians 2, 7 says, He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. The first step downward for Jesus was taking the nature of a servant. Now, in our society today, what I'm about to say is considered politically incorrect. But it's exactly what the Bible says. The word servant can only be translated in one way as slave. Jesus became a slave for you and me. And what is a slave? A slave is someone who has no rights. One of the early Greek writers wrote this about a slave, that whosoever is permitted to do whatever he wishes is a free man, and whosoever is not is a slave. Jesus took upon himself the attitude of a servant, a slave, and said to the Father, not my will, but thy will be done. You see what Jesus was saying? I surrender my will. It's not what I'm going to do, but Father, only what you wish me to do. He became the servant of all servants. We just saw in verse 6 that Jesus is the very nature of God. Now we see that he has took upon a new nature, nature of a servant. 
This doesn't mean that he stopped being God. He just added a new nature to his resume. In taking on the nature of a servant, Jesus did not cease to be God, but rather gave up the rights as God in order to become the servant of all. In the words of D.A. Carson, he says, Jesus became a nobody. He made himself nothing. You see, he willingly gave up all his rights and took on the very nature of a servant. Jesus demonstrated this in the powerful way that at the Last Supper he did something that showed his disciples how to be a servant because he was a servant. He girded himself around his loins with a towel, took a pan of water and washed their dirty, stinking feet. He humbled himself to be the lowest among servants. Paul says your attitude is My attitude should be that as the same as Jesus Christ. Rather than clinging to your own privileges and your own rights, you should humbly serve each other in love. The first step downward that Jesus took, he became a servant, submitting himself to the Father's will and willingly giving himself to humble service to others. You and I, should begin to think about, God, what do you want me to do in service to others? The second step down he took, he took on the form of human. He became a human being. Again, verse 7 says, being made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Here we have the incarnation. Jesus humbled himself by becoming a human being. In Genesis chapter 1, we find that the the scripture teaches us that we were created in the likeness of God. That he creates us in the likeness of him. Here in Philippians, he reminds us that he became in the likeness of us. That which we were created to be like, he became like. In verse 8, we find that he says that found in the appearance of a man. The invisible God became visible for the very first time. He took on flesh in the full view of all. The glorious pre-existent creator, the second person in the Godhead, took upon himself flesh in the person of Jesus. A Jewish boy who grew up to be a normal-looking Jewish man. When he became a man, Jesus did not cease to be God, but rather his glory was veiled in his human flesh. Now, in doing a lot of research on this, I found that the Scripture tells us that, that Jesus took upon such a common figure that there was nothing unique about him, nothing that made him stand out in a crowd. You see, Jesus didn't come as the best looking, the best built, the superman. He came in humble servant, just as an ordinary, everyday kind of guy, like most of us. 
He laid aside His glory as God to become human. He was truly God and yet truly man. I don't know how to explain the fact that He was all God and all man other than to say He was all God and He was all man. That's all I can tell you. He did it. That which you and I cannot do. The third step that he took was that he was obedient even to death. But not just any death. Jesus became a servant. He became a human being. And thirdly, he became obedient even to death. Now listen. I hate to break it to you. The statistics are out. One out of one of us dies. Sorry, it's just the way it is. Now listen, I want you to understand that we die because we have to die. He died because he chose to die. He was God. He was man. But he chose his death. Now listen to me as I explain. The word humbled here is the same word that we saw in verse 3. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. To humble yourself means to make yourself low. This verse shows us how low Jesus was willing to go. He became obedient unto death. I got a question for you. Raise your hand. How many of you have been obedient unto death? None of you, or you wouldn't be here. If you're dead, you ain't here. Okay? None of us have, but he was. He was obedient unto death, but yet he is here. All right? Jesus was obedient unto death, but not just any death. This doesn't mean that Jesus was just obedient up until he died, but that his death was part of his obedience. He was obedient even to God's command to die, to willingly give his life for others. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 26, at the time that he was betrayed, the night that he was in the garden praying, the times when he was was agonizing before the Father, and and it says that he was such agony that the, the sweat was as drops of blood. He was praying and seeking the Father and said, Father... If there's any other way that we can can redeem humanity other than this, let this cup pass from me. But listen to what it says. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Do you hear what he said? I surrender. I humble, I am but your servant. Whatever your will is, I shall do. But not only did he die, but the fourth step down was that he endured the humiliation of the cross, the death upon that cross. Jesus became a servant, he became a human being, he became obedient to follow God in obedience to death. And finally, he endured the humiliation of the cross. 
Look at verse 8 again. He humbled himself, therefore, and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Now, in our modern day society, we love to carry around crosses. I carry one in my pocket. We wear them as jewelry. We think that what a great symbol the cross is. For whatever reason, Christianity has chosen the cross, his death, as the symbol in which we recognize our Christianity by. I really think that we should have carried around a tomb. <laughs> I mean, isn't it better that, that he rose from the grave than he died on a cross? <laughs> Um, so I think we ought to, somebody that makes necklaces and jewelry ought to, you know, make a tomb necklace and we ought to all start wearing that. My Savior died, yes, he died on a cross, but he rose again, he lives today. He does that. But you see, the cross in those days was not like it is in our day. It was not something to be cherished, something to be worn, something to be looked upon. As a matter of fact, in those days, to die on the cross was the most humiliating, degrading, cursed way a man could die. Dying on the cross, not only humiliating, but painful. The cross in Jesus' day was not a decoration, but it was an insult. People shuddered at the thought of the cross. The word itself was allowed or not allowed to be spoken in polite conversation. The Romans hated those who died on the cross. The Jews considered themselves cursed. Cicero, the, the Roman philosopher, called the cross a most cruel and disgusting um, punishment. To die on the cross was considered to be the most shameful, cruel, despised death of all. But for Jesus, it was even worse. Because it was on the cross that Jesus suffered the wrath of the Father and paid the penalty for your sins and mine. Not only the humiliation of dying upon a cross, but, but God turning his back upon his son for the first time in all of eternity. For the fact that he had to carry the weight of all the sin of the world, not just the sin of those in the past, but the sin of all that in the presence. He has paid the penalty. No matter how long life goes on, no matter how much human life, he has paid the penalty for our sin. Jesus suffered that wrath. This is the final downstep Jesus took. The lowest rung on the ladder. Jesus' obedience, but not only the obedience to death, but the death of the cross. Notice, the cross was Jesus' destination all the time. All the other steps downward, the ladder, were simply necessary steps to get where he needed to get so that he could be obedient to the Father, so that he could pay the price for your sin and mine. If you're here today and Jesus has paid that price, you ought to be praising the Lord today. If you're here today and you've never received the, the payment for your sin, you've never come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you ought to be coming to the cross today and saying thank you for what you've done and thank you for telling me that you've done it for me. The cross was the heart of Jesus and his mission 
in life. And it is the heart of the gospel. For every one of us is equal at the foot of the cross. All sinners are the same, and we find forgiveness at the foot of the cross. Apart from Jesus' death for us on the cross, there would be no hope of eternal life with God the Father. Jesus had traveled from the highest place to the lowest place. And there is no place lower the Son of God could have gone but then to the death on the cross. So where does he go from here? He's extended himself from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. You know how discouraging, how depressing it would have been if the Apostle Paul would have stopped right here. It's kind of like in the Gospels. Had we come up to the time of his crucifixion and when Jesus made the statement, it is finished, the debt has been paid, I am giving up, Father, receive my spirit into your hands. And if the gospel would have stopped right there, how sad it would have been for all of us. Yes, yes, we would have received a forgiveness for our sins. The blood was shed, the forgiveness was given. Can you imagine living in eternity in this sinful, wicked world? My friends, I'm telling you, I'm glad that the gospel goes on to say that in three days our Savior rose from the grave, and because He lives, we can live. But listen, the Apostle Paul has the same message. He goes on to say that, yes, Jesus came from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, but hang on, my friends. God has promised that He's going to restore His Son. He's going to bring Him back to that former glory. He's going to place Him where He belongs. The glorious exaltation of Jesus is found in verses 9 through 11, and, 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 and this is a wonderful, praiseworthy part of this message. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. It is that he died, but not that he stayed dead, but that he rose from the grave. And because he rose from the grave, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. God has brought him back to the glory of heaven. God did not leave Jesus in the grave, but raised him from the dead and exalted him to the highest place. Listen to what Paul says in verses 9 through 11. Therefore God exalts him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just a few things I want you to see here so that you understand what Paul is really saying. First of all, that God exalts Jesus back to the highest place. Notice the change in direction. He was going down. He went down to the lowest of lows. And then when he was at the lowest at the bottom, he said, there is no place but up. Praise God, when we go to our lowest place, when death knocks and we answer that knock and death takes us, it's the lowest we can go. From there, it is all up. We are going to be with Jesus, those who know him. Jesus went to the lowest of lows so that he could be raised to the highest of heights. He is exalted back to the Father. Jesus humbled himself before God, and God exalted himself before him. The journey down was the, all that, the things that Jesus needed to do, but the journey back was all the things that God did for, the, uh, for him. 
Jesus humbled himself and God exalted him. Isn't it great that the Bible says, humble yourself and God shall exalt you? The journey down is a journey up. It is always the way with humility comes before exaltation. You and I have got a choice. You can do the humbling and let God do the exalting, or you can let God do the humbling and there'll be no exalting. Jesus humbled himself before the Father and God exalted him before the world. Jesus humbled himself to the lowest place and God exalted him back to the highest place. There is no one and no thing higher than Jesus Christ. God exalted him to the highest place and above all things, he says. The second thing that we need to see from this text is God exalted the name of Jesus above every other name. Now this means a whole lot more than what we think it means. Paul said God gave him a name that is above every name. Although you and I often think that Jesus is the name in which has been exalted, but did you know that there's a whole lot of Jesuses running around even today? You see, in the Spanish, Jose is Jesus. In, in Hebrew, Joshua is Jesus. You see, there's a whole lot of people that have that name. And it's not that the name Jesus is, is the important thing. He says that he exalts his name above every name. And he doesn't give us the answer to what that means until verse 11. But he wants us to know that, that as Jesus lowered himself and took upon himself the name of Jesus at his birth, God said, when I rise you up, I will exalt that name above every other name. God had made this Jesus Lord. Lord above all. In Isaiah, God says, I am Lord and that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. God, who refused to share his name or his glory with any others, exalted Jesus to the highest place and makes him Lord of all. Listen, my friends, that's why I tell you all the time, if Jesus isn't Lord of all your life, he's not Lord at all in your life. He has to be Lord of all, because that's what God has exalted him to. Paul said that at every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But what does that mean? What does it mean for us? What does it mean so that we experience that glory? God exalted the worship of Jesus. Paul is quoting Isaiah 45 and verse 23 where he says before me every knee will bow by me every tongue will swear notice Paul says that every knee will bow have you ever asked yourself I wonder does he really mean every knee I mean every knee past, present, future yeah look at what Paul says 
three things that we see here. First of all, those in heaven. Now, what does that mean? Those in heaven means the holy angels, the redeemed of the Lord. All of the angels above are going to bow their knee before him as Lord. He is Lord. They saw him born as a baby in a manger. They saw him die as a savior upon the cross. And then they saw him exalted as the king of kings and lord of the Lord. And even the angels bow before him. All the redeemed of the past are in heaven and they're bowing a knee before him and saying, He is Lord. We say, well, of course, heaven's going to. I mean, you know, that's where he dwells. That's where, of course, they're going to. But what about here on earth? Listen to what he says. And on earth, in heaven and on earth, is a reference to all of humanity, both the redeemed and the unredeemed. Let me remind you that there are those that have said, I will not bow my knee before the Lord. I will not acknowledge Him as Savior. I'm telling you one day, the Bible says, every knee, whether you say it or not, is going to bow and say, yes, you were Lord, and I was wrong. I don't know about you, but I want to do it willingly. I don't want to have to be forced to do it. And then the third, he says, under the earth, under the sea, meaning uh, also refers to the underworld. This refers to the demonic forces of Satan as well. How many times in the gospel do we see Jesus encounter demons and they say, Oh, I know who you are. But one of these days they're going to bow a knee and they're going to say, We were wrong in choosing Satan as our God. We should have worshipped you. You are Lord. Even the demonics, even the ones that are in hell, who have said over times past, I will not. I'd rather go to hell than to acknowledge Jesus as Savior. Every soul in hell is going to say, you are Lord. My friends, that means every knee. Every knee from past, every knee from present, every knee from future, both in heaven and on earth and under the earth are going to bow before and confess that Jesus is Lord. But does that mean that when they do, that everybody is saved and everybody gets to leave hell and go to heaven? Absolutely not. It's just simply acknowledging you were right and we were wrong and we deserve the punishment that we get. In short, you can bow before Jesus now or you can bow before Him later, but my friends, you will bow before Jesus and acknowledge Him as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So let me close. So where do I go with this? Let me give you three applications. One is going to tell you that you cannot stay home this afternoon at 2 o'clock, but you must come back. And it is this. There is no task too small to do for Jesus. You say, well teaching children and doing VBS or praying crafts or doing whatever it is that I need to do, serving in the kitchen, that's beneath me. No, there is absolutely no job too small. Nothing beneath you. When you and I choose the path of humility and humble obedience as Jesus did, no task is beneath you. And when you do it out of love for Jesus and for your neighbor... There is the ultimate goal of humility. We're called to humbly serve each other in love. So let's serve our children of our church and of our community. Let's fill every position and then have some standbys for Vacation Bible School.
Secondly, there is no obedience too difficult for you through Jesus Christ. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. With Jesus as our example, there is no obedience too difficult for you. Remember the word of Jesus, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. And thirdly, there is no reward so sweet as that which Jesus will give. Think about it, my friends. Your service to God. is just an opportunity for you to receive His grace and His mercy and His reward. Jesus showed that the ultimate obedience and He received the ultimate reward. You can't outgive God. Give Him your all because He's already given you His all. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Paul says Jesus is the supreme example of humility. He shows us how to humbly be obedient. Because he started from the highest place, he journeyed to the lowest place. No one has ever traveled further than Jesus on the road to humility because no one has ever started as high as he has and has fallen as low as he has gone. God calls you and I to the same attitude of Jesus. God calls us to step out of our comfort zone. Let go of your rights and your privileges and humble yourself in service to one another obedience to God the Father. With that being said, I challenge you today to humbly respond to his call. Do we have a song? If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the cross is crying out to you today. Jesus is saying, come, I paid it all for you. I died so that you may live. Come that you may receive. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, maybe you're a child, maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're an adult, and you've not made that profession of faith, today is the day in which Jesus is calling you. I want you to come. Let me just share with you what God has said that he has done for you and where you and I need to be to meet him at the foot of the cross. He loves you that much. But if you're here today and you've received the the, the forgiveness of God's grace, then he's calling you to humble service. He's saying, get off your seat and on your feet and start doing for me what I've done for you. You're never too young and you're never too old to be used of God. If you don't believe me, I can take you through Scripture and show you that men in their 80s, 90s, and 100, and women in their 90s serve the Lord. Women in their 20s and their teens said, Here, my Lord, 
but yet your servant. You and I are no different.